fellow you've been waiting for. Yeah. Star of our show, Frank Sinatra, ladies and gentlemen. In the moment we've been waiting for, historian Felix Bunnell, who walked in snapping his fingers this morning. We've all been snapping our fingers since I learned yesterday you're going to do this. I didn't realize that Frank Sinatra, at the peak of his career in June 1957, brought his act to Seattle. Yeah, I mean, does anyone remember what a force Frank Sinatra was? I was thinking about this the last few days. Are we talking about somebody who most people are thinking, Frank Sinatra, that's that's yesterday's news. Is, it, is he still to, a big deal? To the, to the kids, uh, Frank Sinatra is just this side of opera. Even with that little that little hipster straw hat he used to wear and stuff, and those little narrow lapel suits. My mom was a Bobby Soxer. She went to the yeah. Paramount in New York City and just, you know, screamed and yelled and jumped up and down for Frank yeah, Sinatra. Yeah, and, he, you know, he reinvented himself so many times. But 59 years ago tomorrow, June 9th, 1957, Frank Sinatra played a concert at the Civic Auditorium. That's what's now called McCaw Hall. It was part of a really unusual tour of Western cities that was pulled off over three successive weekends. It just went out on weekends for three weeks. Very strange. Albuquerque, Denver, El Paso. Sometimes they would play a show in the afternoon at 2.30 and then fly in a chartered plane to the next city and do a night show. That's what they did here in Seattle. They played Portland in the afternoon and Seattle at night. And so um, the weird thing is that the Seattle concert was recorded, and we'll get to that in a second, but before we do that, um, Sinatra Scholar, this guy named Ed O'Brien who lives in New York, he put Sinatra's popularity in June 1957 into perspective. At that particular moment in his career, Sinatra was the biggest selling album artist in the, in the world. And he had three albums in the top 100 billboard right then, including Swinging Affair, which had been released in May and went right to the top. And it was number three that week when he played Seattle. He was number five in as the top drawing film stars in the box office or films. Yeah, so it may have been a great time for Sinatra the artist, but it was also a pretty rough time for Sinatra the human. There's this two-volume uh, biography of Frank Sinatra. The second volume came out last year. The author is James Kaplan. He explained the hard times that Sinatra was facing in 57. His great friend and his idol, Humphrey Bogart, had died in January. He was also, this is a man whose pole star was always Ava Gardner and in certain uh, in certain distant and romantic ways. They could never really they could never really get along, but by July, early July, she would finally divorce him. And he so he knew he knew that was in process, and I think that was also another great source of sadness for him. So Kaplan says Sinatra was also always terribly insecure and he was worried about his voice losing his voice that spring. His voice cracks a few times on this bizarre recording. Now about this recording Sinatra scholar Ed O'Brien says that you know Sinatra's not at his technical best throughout the concert, but he didn't I mean it wasn't ever probably planned to be released, right? But he says a couple of the songs are sheer genius. You know, it's like lightning in a bottle, including this one. So it's unclear why it was recorded, right? It wasn't a secret. The guy who recorded it was part of the entourage. This is a real recording, too. This is not somebody in, a, in the orchestra, in the, no, uh, this, yeah, in the a, cell phone. This, this is a really famous engineer named Wally Hyder who yeah. had recorded thousands of shows like this. Anyway, it was recorded. One track was the vocals. The other track was the music. And it, you know, when Hyder passed away, his widow somehow lo- allowed the CD to be released in the mid-'90s. And Ed O'Brien, the scholar we talked to, he, was, he wrote the liner notes, and he just sees it as a remarkable piece of history. And what you have there is you have a wonderful um, artifact of the live Sinatra in 1957 in, in front of an audience in a, an auditorium. And that's what he did. 
uh, and uh, that, that, that whole tour. And it, it does define them. So I think it's pretty cool that this artifact, it's you know, of national significance, probably even international significance, it's recorded right here in little, little old Seattle. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. He, uh, he did dominate. Uh, like I mentioned, uh, Mom was a big fan. She had uh, all the albums. Uh, I recognize most of those songs yeah, yeah. Uh, still. And um, the the thing is, it's interesting you, you, you say how insecure he was. He did a yeah. film. One of his films involved a singer who they threatened to cut his throat, right, and, and ruin his career by, uh, by uh, uh, cutting out his voice. And, and I wonder if the reason he took that film was because he <laughs> could relate to it in terms of his own personal fears. Yeah, I'm sure. And that's, that's why you know, he had that great comeback with From Here to Eternity in the early 50s where he won the Oscar playing Maggio, which is just, you know, again, just he did so many remarkable things in music and in film and then later in TV and then became this great, touring these great huge venues. Last place he played in the Northwest was the Puyallup Fair back in 1993. Starring Felix Bunnell, who's our guest every Wednesday morning on Seattle's Morning News, sort of a, sort of a one-way time machine. Unless you're going to do something about Seattle's future. That's what I want. I want to see, I want to hear clips from Seattle's future.